0: Right. two weeks in a row, a spooky tune. Yay! To uh, open the podcast, and that seems appropriate. Welcome to my nightmare, Alice Cooper. Welcome, this is the Fright Club podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we're from madwolf.com. Check out all the uh, reviews of the new movies, and we're glad you're checking out our podcast, our weekly horror-filled podcast, Fright Club. Speaking of Alice Cooper, he's in that new... It's like Alice Cooper was gone for years, and now he's in that new super group. It's, it's Alice Cooper and Johnny Depp, who we'll talk about what? this week, and um, Joe Perry, yeah. the, the Hollywood Vampires. You see that? They played on the Grammys.
1: I did see, see that. that? Yeah. yeah. And now
0: I guess they're going to do a tour and everything. Kind of a weird group. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. One third of which I would love to see in concert. <laughs> <laughs> they might do that, Welcome to My Nightmare. It's a cool, spooky tune. And it, uh, it's appropriate because we're talking about the Nightmare on Elm Street guy himself, Wes Craven. We are back to spotlighting our favorite horror filmmakers. And this week is going to be all about Wes Craven. So obviously, uh, if you know anything about him, you know we're going to talk a little bit about Johnny Depp. But that's for later. First, we've got to say thank you to the bunch of fun we had last week.
1: Yeah, we did. Finally, we did the witch podcast, which we put off for a couple of weeks, and uh, we got a great response. And and uh, you know, especially over on the the Columbus Horror page on Facebook, I mean they they've been waiting for an opportunity to just talk and you know consider spoilers. And we yeah. just really want to thank thank uh, uh, Mike Mcgrainer for joining us again. Um, and Control. For- <laughs> but just for being a great sport. No, he was. Yeah, because you don't necessarily want to come on the show and then have a different opinion than us because we can be a bit strident. But I think you know, I mean, he, he was great. He was great, yeah. and
0: uh, and it was a fun show. Yeah, it was because that film and that just shows you, I, I think, how what a great another great aspect of that movie. It invites so much conversation. It really does. Uh, when you get on one of those chats, one of those threads going, and you see all the different ways of interpretation, people. Have toward it. And how can you say, you know, any of them are flat out wrong? I mean, people see things in it. You know, I think when I posted on there that I saw it as a kind of a kind of a ode to how someone can be radicalized. And yep. then a couple of people, oh, what the heck are you talking about? And then somebody else said, hey, well, posted
1: an article posted an article yep.
0: about that. No, yep. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that's the be all and end all interpretation of it. <laughs> but I'm just saying. It has, it speaks to so many different people. It does in so many different ways, and uh, yeah, Mike, you know, Mike has his own thoughts about it, and that's great because he's not alone. No, uh, as we said, there are many different uh, people that I've seen that say, you know, it just didn't work for me, right? Uh, but uh, but for the bunch of us that it does work for, it's a lot of fun, a, a movie that really invites conversation, and it was a great uh, great chance to do it. So yeah, thanks to Mike, thanks to everybody. And uh, thanks to everybody that's speaking of backing me up, backing you up on Blair Witch.
1: Right, which is nice because a lot of time, we've talked about Blair Witch a lot of times because it's the scariest movie. It's my personal scariest right movie. And uh, people a lot of times, you know, I don't know, the movie hasn't aged out well, and people found it boring. And so yeah. it was just nice we we talked about it last week, and several people posted on Facebook that no, they're with me. Scared the scared the pants <laughs> off them. Brandon, yeah. our, our old buddy Brandon, he he said
0: the same thing, which was nice. That I'm it's not just me. Yeah. Oh, and I agree. I mean, I I definitely thought it was scary. Not as as much as yeah. you did, because you have this thing about the woods. Um, I thought it was a very very effective movie. But yeah, it's it scared the poop out of you. <laughs> so, and a lot of people. So yeah, we got a lot of got a lot of backup there last week. We did. You know what
1: though? Before we move on to this week's topic. I have to apologize from the bottom of my heart for <laughs> <laughs> just, I kept getting Knack name wrong. I know, it's, you know, and I, I, I do know why. I think he he recognizes why, too, because of the director, Neil Marshall, right, who did Descent in Dog Soldiers. I keep calling him Neil McMarshall. It's Neil McRobert. I don't know. I don't know how it just doesn't, I, I don't catch it as it comes out of my mouth. Well, but.
0: now, now we're just going to have to call him a different name every time. <laughs> Dr. Neil McDonald. <laughs> So, so no, I'm so, so
1: sorry. I'm, and I'm not, so sorry. I'm not
0: sure I buy this Neil Marshall thing. Really? Why else That's would not, I be doing that? Just because you don't care? That's no, not because
1: <laughs> I don't care. It's not true. So it's Neil McRobert, yeah, everyone. Doctor Neil McRobert, our I'm senior kidding. Stephen King correspondent, and I have just—I don't know what. I uh, just had a stroke, I, I th- think. So I, th- I
0: apologize, truly. Neil, I'm so sorry. I think he was laughing about it, but at the same time,
1: probably annoyed. I yeah. mean, why would he not be annoyed? Why not?
0: That's right. So, Doctor Neil McRobert, okay, and uh, we'll, you know, it's a sign of love if we butcher your name. Is that what it is? is that we're going to say it is. Not
1: just, not just sloppy <laughs> idiocy. I think
0: that might be more of what it is. Anyway, it was just all part of the uh, great big ball of whimsy we had last week, <laughs> talking about the witch and getting people's names wrong and just uh, general fun. So, thank you. I had a great, great, great response, and now we're back to uh, focusing on uh, some of our favorite filmmakers and this one unfortunately uh, we lost uh, you know kind of too soon I think at least it seemed like it yeah Uh, but boy what a great body of work and it's Wes Craven and we will start back in 1972 uh, at number five on our list it's the last house on the left
1: it rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center of hell Here's the first motion picture to offer, to the daring, a look into the final maddening space between life and death. The last house on the left. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Take as much as you can. Only a movie.
0: Yeah, this is the first thing we saw from Wes Craven, and right out of the gate, shocking.
1: Oh my God, yes. You know, and it's, um, he's made a lot of films that are very notorious, but nothing, nothing like this. This is absolutely the most notorious film he's ever made. And, you know, he made it as, uh, as a response to, um, you know, the images that suddenly you would see of the Vietnam War. It's like all of the sudden because of, you know, television coverage, you know, um, graphic brutal horror was brought into
0: every night on the news yeah yeah. and Mm -hmm. so
1: and so what he wanted to do was to make a film that reflected that so he made and and you know he's talked about this film before uh and he said that you know he wanted to make a movie that made you the audience feel like you didn't know where it was gonna go like you were unsafe just as the characters were unsafe this is not a great film not by any stretch of the imagination um, it's, it's, and you know, and it, it was banned globally for many, many years. It's very graphic. It's fairly gratuitous. It's very grim. Um, and actually, you know, it's funny. The thing that I dislike the most about it is sort of this Keystone Cop element. It's like they, they try to inject humor with these, with this cop thing that I think doesn't work at all. Um, the film itself, if you're not familiar with it, it's actually a remake of Ingmar Bergman's *The Virgin
0: Spring*, which yeah, was from 1960 an, with Max von Sydow. Yes, uh, starred in that. Yeah, classic he, from Ingmar Bergman. It's
1: an Oscar. It was an Oscar winner for best foreign language film. Um, you know, and uh, uh, it's a coming of age. You know, girl on her seventeenth birthday. In 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 Craven's version, she and her friend they're going to go to a concert. They want to buy some weed. They buy it from the wrong people, and then later uh, those people uh, wind up with car trouble spending the night in the girl's parents' home. And little by little, the, the girl's parents realize that they've done something horrible to their daughter. And so then, uh, the film just sort of examines how quickly civilized people will turn to blood lust and vengeance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then also that there's no, um, satisfaction once you've done that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that, which is also the theme of, of the original, the movie is mostly known for some of its really notorious violence. There's a particularly bad stabbing. There's a there's a biting incident,
0: mm-hmm. um, and the bad rape scene. There's a bad rape bad. scene. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot that got, as you said, banned. He had a really had to do a little sleight of hand just to get an R rating. He fought with the the MPAA board. Uh, you know, taking out footage got an X. Took out more footage got an X, and finally, I guess he had a friend of his at the film board just give him a rated R seal of approval, and he put it on the film and released it. Wow. So it was kind of not really an R. Yeah, that b- doesn't surprise but me. But an R. There's no
1: way that that film was an there's R. There's no way. No.
0: Uh, so, uh, yeah, so he, it was going to get an X, uh, and he did a little trick uh, to uh, to get an R. And the funny thing was, everybody, in, in addition to um, it being banned, and, and so many people hated it, none other than Roger Ebert. Mm. Gave it a three and a half thumbs up, and he got a lot of pushback yeah. for that about how he could support such uh, such an incendiary film. And uh, that's just another little feather in his uh, in his cap, right? For uh, for what he saw for seeing something yeah, in there. Right.
1: And that's the thing. I mean, um, um, you know, the acting is not great, but you know what? To be honest with you, it's not terrible. Especially the the villains; they are super creepy. Um, there is something. No, no matter what. Issues you have with the movie when you're watching it, it's clear there's something to this filmmaker. There's there's absolutely something there, and also, I mean, just historically, uh, came out in 1972. Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out in ni- 1974. The Hills Have Eyes came out shortly after. It was sort of the dawn of a very new era, a you know, a savage 70s is what it's often referred to of American um horror films independent american horror films which is my personal favorite era of horror films is the 1970s independent american horror films and the, and this is one of them and it is one of the movies that kicked it off just R- savage unpredictable low budget yes and flawed in many ways yes
0: but but just brilliant unsettling um, films. Well, at any and any time, there's a movement like that, especially in the horror genre. You have to look at what was going on in the world or oh, in yeah, the country. absolutely. And, and as you alluded to, this was all about the Vietnam War yeah. and what people were seeing in their homes every night.
1: Right. I mean, you you could no longer rely on like spooky music and shadows up the hall right. if you were trying to startle viewers because of what it was they were seeing on TV every day.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and also there's an, a a subtext of. Is this just for your entertainment? Yeah. You know, you're seeing this. Are you entertained by this? There's that going on as well. But you make a good point about seeing, uh, you know, we see films, not just horror movies, all the time, obviously. And sometimes you'll see a movie or you'll see an actor or an actress or you'll see a, a director. And even though. It's not that good you think. You know there's something here. Exactly. There's talent there. Yeah. I know there is and that's what you're talking about with this movie. You could just tell this person has something. And yeah. they'll, and they'll get it. It mm-hmm. maybe not this first time out, but they're getting there.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's a hard movie to watch. Yeah. And um you know given the just restraints that he had with a the budget there there are some some issues to it and also it's just irredeemably grim. I mean it's just Ooh. Yeah, um but but um you know it's groundbreaking and uh and it's a tough watch but it's worth watching.
0: Yeah, and that is number 5 on our list of our favorite West Craven movies. Last House on the Left from 1972 and Keeping in the 70s and Boy. Keeping with a movie that uh you don't know what was going to happen and you were on edge the entire time. It's The Hills Have Eyes from 1977. Mr. Don't take your family back in that area. The silver has been gone for forty years now. There's nothing back in there but animals. A lot. The old creep told you not to get off the road. What began as a vacation ended as a nightmare.
1: Be hell to pay now.
0: The hills have eyes. The lucky ones died first. Yeah, this is really the movie that really made him and put him on the map as far as a, this is someone you have to watch. But this goes all the way back to 1977, and actually you found out here this week that maybe some people of a certain age don't know him as well as we had hoped.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's funny, a girl that I work with, Annie, who's just a peach, she's absolutely adorable, but she's also like 23 years old, Um, and she was asking me about the podcast, because we talked about the witches last week, and I told her that this week we were going to do West Craven, and she goes, what does that mean? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then you said, "Yes, I do have my dinner at four thirty <laughs> every afternoon, and get off my lawn." What does that mean? Well, you yeah. know what? We're here to tell you—that's you right. What it means, and uh, yeah, following up the last house on the left, it lets you know from the get-go, nobody's safe. Right. You don't just- know what is going to happen because it it upends your expectations of what you think. Is, is off limits. Right.
1: And, you know, it's very much in keeping with the themes of of The Last House on the Left, but after after he made that film, you know, um, so few people actually got a chance to see it that the that the truth is the next movie Wes Craven directed was porn. It um, was called, I think, The Fireworks Woman and it was like an incest porn film. And so, he didn't get back to well, I wouldn't say mainstream, but even horror film work until 1977 with this movie, and um, you can tell it is a little bit more polished. the The storyline is a little bit more accessible, but he's not um, abandoning uh, any of the the um, you know envelope pushing ways of his first film. Um, and 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 I've mentioned this before the the central. Um, Conflict, right? The, the 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 thing that that pushes the terror forward is a baby has been kidnapped by these you know backwoods cannibals, mm-hmm. and 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 so the family is trying to get the baby back before the cannibals eat eat the baby. And um, if you're watching a horror movie, you don't think for one second that baby going to get eaten. You're like, I mean, sure, this is the conflict, this is what's pushing the narrative forward, but obviously they're going to save the baby. In In The Hills Have Eyes, just. Scene after scene after scene, Wes Craven does things. He breaks taboos that make you think to yourself, I don't know, he might. They might eat this baby, you know, it's like, you know, (laughs) I mean, people are set on fire, you know, there's, there are people are raped, they're eaten alive, they're eaten dead, they're they're mistreated, generally speaking, so that, so that, and and I'm not saying that that's necessarily like a big triumph, whoo, you know, it's just that it's fascinating to me that he started with something, he knew you were not going to believe what happened, you were going to feel safe in the, in the security that they were going to save the baby, and then little by little, he dismantled that belief. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, And it's great. It sets you on edge the whole time. And really, you can't talk about this movie without one of the first things that comes to mind is Michael Berryman.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: Uh, Now I had as a kid. It's interesting. I had seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because I, I tried to as I was as a kid, I tried to read like books that were over my age limit. So I had read the book One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and I pestered, pestered my my mom to let me see the movie. Which was, I believe, in nine, maybe one year earlier, seventy six or seventy five. So anyway, I had seen him, uh, and and uh, a strange looking dude. Now yeah. in that movie, of course, he's not a scary character. But then when I saw the poster and the way he's looking oh, in those eyes, oh yeah, the eyes, poster for Hills Have Eyes is oh, awesome. Oh my, because he's such a now he's got a condition. It's it's hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia, I think is how you pronounce it. And what he ha- he has a lack of sweat glands among other things. And that's one of the things. And he's just Looks so unique and he can be so scary looking. And God bless him, he's made quite a career. Yeah. You know, still working. I looked on his IMDb page. He's got stuff coming out this year. So, you know, God bless the guy. And, uh, but it, boy, and as far as a, a horror movie, you just look at that face and look at the, the look he was making. And yeah. it just told you in, in one image, like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm scared already. Um, and it was basically, uh, apparently, it was based on the legend of a family. Uh, a feral clan who inhabited and roamed Scotland's East Lothian country. <laughs> and that's a bad accent uh, back in the early 1400s. And I and originally they were going to set this one uh, in a forest. Uh, and most of the cannibals uh, were going to be adolescents, but uh, things changed along the way. But still, you've got this... You've got this feral clan, and of course they're warned not to go in there they by that are, of old, they are. by old the old prospector no, whoever the who the guy who runs the, the gas yeah. station
1: convenience store. But there's always a guy always. like that, as
0: always. Don't go there. But uh, and then yeah, things get get way out of hand. I
1: actually love that it's not set in the forest because it, that would be a little bit more typical. The fact that it's yeah. set in the desert, you know, sort of, you know, it, it, one of the things it does is um, it, it makes sort of vacation land you know which is the you know sort of california coast you know they're headed to california they're going through the desert probably of nevada uh it it makes it seem so much more of a wasteland it's like how is it possible that this can butt up against you know the vacation wonderland that is california it's 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 an interesting you know it's like you don't have to go that far outside civilization to find this and they
0: really were out there they were out there miles from from any sort of civilization they had to you know like truck everything in and they worked in the intense heat which is especially tough for a guy like Michael Bearman yeah. who has no sweat glands yeah. it was over 100 degrees in the heat out in the desert all the time and uh and it does give you that that desolate feeling like these there's nobody out no. here yeah. at all which made it even scarier and um it this was another one that just like um just like uh, last house on the left it was given an X rating, yeah. Um, and he did cut enough to get an R rating. And I guess the original, unfortunately, the original director's cut is thought no longer to be even Aww. in existence, which is too bad. Uh, because, uh, but he had to cut that one. And this and did this one on the up and up. Got an actual <laughs> R rating. An actual R rating. Yeah. But I got, still, I it's rough think, enough.
1: Yeah, it, it very much is. And and I'm surprised. I mean, both of the films. I think um, it's you know uh, um, the rape scenes have to be among the, the reasons that, that he had a hard time getting an R rating yeah. because that wasn't, but, but, you know, by the mid seventies, it wasn't just American horror. It was all independent American films that were, that were pushing the envelope and it, and it was making it, I think probably easier for him to, you know, get something out and get the rating he was looking for.
0: Yeah. And, uh, one, uh, little note, the, uh, the dead dog, uh, used in the, uh, when the, the family slaughtered dog, yeah. um, Widely believed to be a dummy, that was a real dog. It was a dead dog that uh, Wes Craven bought from the county sheriff's department. He
1: bought a dead dog, I guess,
0: or or yeah, they 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 bought Beast. it. Beauty yeah. and Beast. They were the they were the two dogs. Yeah, yeah, Beauty, uh, the one that got uh, that got slaughtered. Yeah, that was a real one. Un- un- Dead carcass, dog. Carcass of a dog Yeah Yeah So they uh, you know Tried to keep it real I <laughs> guess But you know One thing we didn't talk about On the on the last house on the left But it fits Because with The Hills Have Eyes Now they both had remakes Right um, Which we didn't talk about um, I remember seeing the remake Of uh, The Hills Have Eyes And it was okay <laughs>
1: Yeah, I didn't like it um, particularly. There, you know, the cast was better. Ted Levine, oh my god, yeah. you know, I mean, it was it was a really strong cast, but you know, it it then uh, and it was incredibly loyal up to like the third act, and then it took you into the like In, nuclear wasteland. Yeah, and, that, yeah, and um and and uh, the you know I I don't I mean rape scenes are um, a gratuitous rape scene is nothing that I, I mean you know I'm not saying. Horror films are going to use that because it's horrifying, so I get it. But I mean, I'm I'm very particular about the way something like that is. I did not care for the way it was used in the remake, as opposed to the way it was used in the original. The original, I thought it was strictly for horror to horrify, and I didn't I didn't think that in uh, Aha's remake. Um, and 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 speaking of which,
0: right? I was um, just...
1: Last House on the Left. They uh, it's interesting. They pull certain punches. The biting scene, which is uh, is like a big part of the original. They don't, they don't do in the remake, and yet they have, and, and, and also, and forgive me, this is going to be a spoiler, the daughter dies in uh, Wes Craven's original, and also in The Virgin Spring. The daughter does not die in the remake, which is an interesting punch to pull. On the other hand, the rape scene goes on for like 15 minutes. Yeah, for and me, they mostly keep the camera yeah. on her
0: face Yeah, uh, a lot, which really makes it unnerving. It does. Um as I recall, but it does go on quite a ways. And yeah. so,
1: you know, I mean, and this is, I don't,
0: I don't mean to like pick nits here, but
1: if you watch a movie like The Accused, which has a very pivotal rape scene, right, that what you see is the men's faces, right? You're not asked to take the point of view of the rapist, which makes the, the act more titillating. You're yes. asked to take the point of view of the victim, mm-hmm. which is not the case in this film. You're just watching her face the whole time. You're the point of view of the rapist. It makes it seem very objectifying to me, It's and it's needlessly drawn out to me that doesn't mean that it is necessarily but it, it has the the i mean then they've got the head in the microwave thing at the end so you're like what <laughs> um there are some issues i've got some issues yeah. with
0: both remake. yeah the original 1977 was another one that just upped the ante on what he was how far he was willing to go and you
1: know how we knew that the that the brother was going to survive right OSU t-shirt. <laughs> Got a <an> Ohio State <laughs> fan out there in the desert. <laughs> woo <Woo-hoo. laughs> Buckeye survive.
0: That's right. So that is uh, number four from Wes Craven. What does that mean? Uh, countdown. Uh, uh, <laughs> 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 oh, it's the new hip slang term <laughs> us geriatrics use. Hey, Wes Craven. Uh, no, that's funny. Uh, so they going on to, uh, we're up to, uh, up to number three. Uh, moving up to 1997. Scream. Two. Hello. Hello, Sydney. Remember
1: me. What do you want? I want you. It's showtime. Police are everywhere.
0: There is some freaked out psycho trying to follow in Billy Loomis' footsteps. You probably already know. The
1: way I see it, someone's out to make a scene. So it's our job to observe the rules of the scene. Number one. The body count is always bigger So 2 Death scenes are always much more elaborate. So, with Scream 2, I mean, it's so hard to do a proper horror sequel. You know, I mean, they, they usually are so bad, but Wes Craven already knew what he was doing with this, as did Kevin Williamson, the writer, which is to spoof horror sequels. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was perfect. It, it was, was absolutely perfect. perfect. And it yeah. was even more meta than the original, because they've got two things going on. First of all, they... The movie Stab, which is a movie of the Westboro murders, which is yeah. to say, it's a movie version of the movie of the original, which
0: Robert Rodriguez directed.
1: The, he he directed the Stab, the stab portions. Parts, nice yeah, the
0: Stab parts. Yeah.
1: So you've got that movie inside a movie. So very meta. And then and then the whole rest of the film, you know, the uh, the Jamie Kennedy character, who was always the one, the movie nerd, he's talking about movies, just talking about sequels and and and, tropes the and rules worse. of the, the exactly. sequels. Yeah. Um. It's just so clever and fun. It's and, really clever and fun.
0: And of course, I can't think of this movie without thinking of the time that we went to see it in the theater. Remember? The theater was packed. <laughs> we were sitting way in the back. Yeah. And at the very beginning, when um, Jada Pinkett, is, Smith, is, uh, well, she wasn't Smith, whatever. Jada Pinkett uh, goes to the movie, Stab, with her, her boyfriend. Omar Epps. Yeah. And she keeps ask, he been? she keeps asking him to get stuff. And I think at one point he says, you know, well, don't, don't you have any money? And she says, yeah, but basically I want to spend yours. And there's a guy sitting right beside me in the back of the theater who just yelled at the screen, that's how it is! <laughs> 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 so that kind of just set the tone. A because
1: passive-aggressive dig <laughs> at the woman sitting next to him, I assume.
0: <laughs> so anyway, the whole, now usually I cannot stand it when people talk in movies. Uh, you know, we've gotten, got, we've gotten spoiled. We watched so many movies in total silence. You know, that's how I like it. But anyway, this turned out to be kind of fun. Yeah, because, because it's that people, kind of a film. People were rowdy. People were talking and yelling and screaming. And it, it did. It kind of fit the vibe. But I always think about that guy. That's how it is. <laughs> but uh, you're right. It's so meta. Uh, and it's just, it's so much fun because they they take everything they started with Scream and even have more fun with it because, of course, all these horror movies had sequels yes. so there was plenty of fertile ground oh, yeah, absolutely. To, to get into
1: and you know and it, and it, it, even though it it brings up all the the rules you know the clichés and tropes it itself doesn't suffer from the same problems that other sequels do i mean it's very cleverly written it's well acted it's obviously well directed and um and the uh you know the mystery that they are you know that's the the heart of the narrative is actually very clever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And uh, actually, they had very, very tight security. They were they were really worried about spoilers getting out, scripts getting out. And uh, the script itself was reprinted on specialty paper to prevent photocopying.
1: Oh. And
0: often destroyed after use. And I, I think still some of it did get out. Um, but they wanted to keep it really under wraps. And there's so much, you're right, there's so much going on. I mean, you remember back uh, when uh, in the original Scream, uh, they say if if someone's going to make a movie about you, who's going to play you? And Cindy <laughs> and Cindy says, "With my luck, Tori Spelling." Well, who's in the That's who's right. in the st- Is Tori Spelling? It's, it's great. It's
1: great. great. It is.
0: Yeah. And in this one, one of the things that Wes Craven did to up the ante with the uh, with the cast, the guy who provided that iconic voice, right, is a guy named Roger Jackson. And in the first one, he he wasn't around, but in this one, he had him on the set so that he could kind of creep out <laughs> in, you know, real, and, and apparently that people, most of the cast uh, avoided him completely, <laughs> except for uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, I guess, would still, like, you know, converse amiably with him on the phone. Well, between-
1: she, she's she's hard to scare. She's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, she ain't but, afraid
0: of him. But uh, people were just freaked out. I think that's a really cool touch for well, this time. I'm going to bring him bring him in here, because you've had so much time to get used to this, this male- malevolent voice, and now... Here he is. I remember, though. Uh, so, Jerry O'Connell is in this one and, and Timothy
1: Oliphant, and that's great because he's. His debut, I think. And he's great. He's great. We love him. Love him. And Jerry O'Connell, um, who's not great, he's not bad in this and he's perfectly fine in this, but he's, you know, he's like super adorably cute in this movie. And he's the fat kid from Stand By Me. I love Stand By Me so much. <laughs> I love it so much. And I was like, it took me a while and watching it going, who is that handsome leading man? I'm thinking, like, Who is this guy? And then I realized He's the fat kid from Stand By Me And
0: then I was just so happy That he had a career <laughs> Yeah Kevin Williamson's script Which we've mentioned a few times On the podcast Is so clever Oh my god, yeah uh, But there were, I guess there were parts of it Where he just left it blank And said, Wes Craven will make it scary <laughs> Which is, you know, Reminds me of the old legend That that's what it was full. The Caddyshack uh, script Was full of places That just said Bill Murray does something funny <laughs> 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 so this was the same thing Wes Craven's gonna make it scary But that doesn't take away From how good the script is Because yeah. it's it's As is the first one um, It's really It's, it's really, really clever smart. And well done And yeah. you know
1: There are a lot of uh, films In fact The scary movie films For example There are a lot of, of Horror spoofs You know um, Or horror comedies That are poking fun at the genre from an outsider's perspective. They don't really care for horror movies, and so they are pointing out how bad they are. One of the things that's great about this entire film series is that, yeah, Wes Craven is poking fun at it from the inside out. He obviously loves it. He's made a complete career out of it. And then, so I think that's one of the reasons it works so well, because the people who go to see these movies love these movies. We don't need you to wag your finger at us. You know, it's and so it's... Even as, as much as it is sort of poking fun at the genre, it's, it's doing it in a very loving way. Yeah, and no. so it makes the whole film feel sort of
0: joyous. Very, very much so. Very much so. It's for the fans of the movie. And mm-hmm. it is, it is a very from a, from a place of respect, yeah. to be sure. But uh, very cleverly done. Scream 2 from 1997 is number three on our Wes Craven countdown. And that moves up to number two, one of the biggies from 1984, A Nightmare on Elm Street. No one knows where it came from or who it
1: will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong
0: with you. You're imagining things. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Ah! A new masterpiece in fantasy terror. Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Wes Craven may not be the biggest name in film, you know, but the impact he had on this genre is... Remarkable, it really is. You know, Last House on the Left uh, didn't make a lot of money when it came out, but it it caused a stir and and it was it was an impetus for the Savage Seventies, right? Mm. And uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street redefined horror films, redefined the slasher genre, the boogeyman style film. Yep. you know, it was and it was such a brilliant idea, right? Because Nightmares, obviously, everybody's afraid. I mean, that's, you know, when I was a little kid, that was the thing I was the most afraid of, is I was going to fall asleep, I was going to have a bad dream. Now, bad dreams were the thing I was the most afraid of as a child. And so the idea to me that that dream will actually kill you, it's
0: such a primal fear, and he executes it so perfectly. And not only did it kick off this new wave uh, of uh, horror films, but it single-handedly saved New Line Cinema. Yeah, they were going under. They were going. They were minutes from bankruptcy. It
1: became It became known as the house that Freddie
0: built. Yeah, very much so. And speaking of Freddie, he's only in this movie in about seven minutes. Wow, just about seven minutes of screen time. But so, and actually, the first time that you see Freddie in the movie, it's it's not Robert Englund. It's a special effects guy uh, because he was the only one who knew how to cut the glove and insert the blades. Mm-hmm. So the first time it's not Robert Englund. And he uh, I guess originally didn't, didn't, didn't think of casting an actor to play the part. He thought it would just all, all it would need was a stuntman. Wow. But then as he got into it, I think no, this needs an actor's perspective. Uh, and Robert Englund uh, based, said he based the physicality of the performance on uh, Klaus Kinski's performance in Nosferatu the Vampire. Ooh. Yeah, sort of the, the way he moved yeah, and everything yeah, yeah. like that. And yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. he's become such an iconic iconic figure in in not just horror movies, but movies in general. And the one that always got me we've talked about this before when I saw it when he's chasing Tina down the and the arms yeah the yeah, arms yeah. were long that was just in one of the trailers and that just freaked me out watching that. And that was I guess they had guys with fishing poles on each side of the alley. And they were doing a marionette thing on a set of puppet arms attached to it. But <laughs> something, I don't know what it was, something about that just freaked the F out of me. I'm yeah.
1: Like, oh, that yeah. was weird. It was. It was, you know, and, and I think partly because, you know, not a lot of people get, I mean, you know, you have dream sequences in movies all the time. Not a lot of people get them right. You know, what it, What seems like a real dream logic and, and uh, you know, the sort of dreamy imagery that, that you know, appear. And he... Obviously, this film was not made with a great deal of money, and obviously, it seems to me that some of the places where they invested the money made good sense. You know, like you know, the whole the face stretching out of the wall behind the bed, or you know, the arms stretching out. You know, they and then and then also, not that it cost much, but the the chant and the you know the sky hopsc- or the the um, jump rope thing. I mean, they do a nice job of setting a creepy. Am I awake or am I
0: dreaming? Yeah. Tone, yeah, and it's all about like you mentioned. It's all about primal fears, and that really fed into the glove as well because uh, Craven was was studying and uh, doing research about primal fears in the subconscious, and he found that one of the big primal fears across all cultures is animal claws. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, and then it kind of and then he he looked at I guess he had a cat and saw that it's the cat how he does its claws and the. You got the two concepts kind of merged together. Uh, although, but in the original script, the blades were, were fishing knives. Uh, not they turned out to be, I think, like Razors. steak knives. Oh. Or ra- but in the in the in the original, the very first one. Okay. But uh, yeah, but it's all about those primal type fears. So, so Wes Craven's a cat guy. I would not have
1: thought yeah, that. I would I have thought so. he was more of a dog guy. I guess so.
0: <laughs> but uh, it's uh, and, and the, the other thing that I know you appreciate uh, in Nancy's uh, TV. When she falls off to sleep, uh, they're watching *The Evil Dead*. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so we love those kind of things. <laughs> but uh, and of course, it spawned you know numerous sequels and reboots and everything like that. And sometimes,
1: and you- then you know, and and almost all of the sequels. First of all, Freddie has a much larger role because, as it turns out, you know, I mean, they couldn't bring Johnny Depp. Well, they did eventually bring Johnny Depp back, but I mean, other than that, he was obviously the star of the original. And and then his 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 role became much more comedic, you know, in the successive films. But um, none of them ever delivered the same punch as the original, even no. though they had more money to work with um, and, and in, a, in a lot of cases, better actors, although they were stuck with Heather Langenkamp for
0: almost everyone. <laughs> um, and that scene where Johnny Depp dies is just awesome.
1: It is. You know, it well, first of the all, bed, and then the- it's 1984. That bare midriff shirt. Seriously? <laughs> what are you in, Wham? Nobody wore those.
0: <laughs> you know what else is nice? When he's uh, uh, about to die, he's laying there, he's listening to the radio. And the, the guy says, it's midnight, and you're listening to station K-R-G-R. Kruger. Nice. K-R-G-R. Yeah, they're very clever, yeah, those filmmakers. Like that. but but yeah,
1: and then they just sucks him into the bed, yeah. and he blows him out as just blood and pulp.
0: Yeah, and I guess they used, I don't know, like 500 gallons of fake blood. Wow. Uh, were used in that movie. But that's that's a very iconic scene. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Shooting out there oh, like yeah. that. Oh, we
1: yeah, I was a little kid. We were watching it at my neighbor's house on HBO, and uh, we were shouting. We're like, wake up! <laughs> it's just like no, don't. You're kill too the cute, cute one. to die. I know, we didn't know who he was yet. We just knew he was way too cute to be
0: dating Heather Langenkamp. Well, that's how he got the movie. Is yeah, that legend? Legend that's has it is right. because he wasn't
1: going to. Uh, Wes Craven didn't didn't really like him particularly, and Wes Craven's daughter was just like he's a dreamboat, yeah, yeah. and he didn't see it, but he knew the teenage girls would, so he yeah. hired him, and that was obviously quite wise. But you
0: know, going back to the beginning, what you said, there's really no way to. Uh, to overstate the uh, influence this had no. just on the genre in general. I mean, it's just like a watershed moment. Yep. When this came out and boom, a whole new genre was kicked off, a whole new rebirth of yep. these sort of movies. Yep. And you can trace it all back to uh, 1984 and the classic, A Nightmare on Elm Street. And that takes us up to number one. And this was, I don't know, this, I would guess this was a tough, was this a tough back and forth? Between little bit. number one and number two? A little bit. But uh, this is a goodie, and we already talked about its sequel. uh, The original Scream from 1996. Someone is playing a deadly game.
1: It all began with a scream over 911.
0: Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear.
1: Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step Too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act. She's always running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting.
0: Turned out to be called Scream, but the original working title was Scary Movie. Wow. (laughs) Which I think Got used later. <laughs> but uh, I mean, but you can see how that would be, because oh, that, yeah, that's would, what they were doing. Yes, they exactly. were taking off on the scary movie.
1: Although I love with the, with the mask, with the munch face uh, mask. I mean, yeah, Scream wor- is a yeah. perfect
0: title for it. it, it yeah, the, the mask became iconic, the whole thing. But it goes back to a lot of the elements that we already talked about with Scream, too, is that the fact that how they're lovingly sending up the whole genre from a place of respect.
1: Right, and how they're... they're they are drawing attention to the cliches of the genre, so that they can surprise you with the way they implement them. I mean, it's it's just brilliantly done. And one of the reasons that this got the nod over A Nightmare on Elm Street, even though I deeply love A Nightmare on Elm Street, is that the acting is just so far superior in this film. It is. Like, you never have to take a step back and go, oh, John Saxton, come on. You know, I mean, the performances <laughs> are just great, and and some of them are so funny. Henry Winkler, I mean, what a great addition to that cast. Skeet Ulrich, very which, Johnny
0: Depp. And by the way, uh, Henry Winkler, uh, if, if you notice, when he opens up his closet uh his black leather fonzie jacket is hanging nah. there <laughs> which i loved if you love fonzie as a kid as much as i did that was great well
1: there are so many little little I know. obviously you know west craven is in the film yep. as the janitor named freddie yep. i mean there's just so many just so many perfect little just winks inside uh, this
0: film linda blair yeah ca- our buddy linda blair <laughs> has a has a cameo which is great and uh also one of the things i think we've talked about this before uh, and talk about upending um, audience expectations. Now, Drew Barrymore was originally cast as Sydney in the Nev Campbell part, but she said that if she played Casey, it would make the audience, you know, when she dies yeah. right away, yeah, they wouldn't it would make it. the audience think that what's going on, right. which is a really a, a very astute I think she move. may
1: have been one of the producers. I, I think, think she this was, was one of yeah. the first films that she produced, and so, you know, very, very savvy.
0: Very savvy, because it's exactly right. You think, yeah. oh, Drew Barrymore's a big star. Yeah. You know, that's a... And that happens a lot because it's one of the reasons why a film like, say, Seven mm-hmm. uh, didn't list Kevin Spacey as an actor on. You don't in the, you, credits, in the opening in the opening credits no. because then you would think, well, where is he? Right. And then it would you would think one thing would lead to another. That was perfect. It's, yeah. it's kind of the same way here that you think a big star like Drew Barrymore is going to die in the first five minutes. Right. What the heck? Yeah. So it was a great move.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You just it, you know just in keeping with his long career of of surprising you and and making you realize that you you think you know what's going to happen and you don't
0: yeah and uh one one of the other funny things although it's not really played out as a joke but the house um that casey is in when Mm -hmm. she gets that call Mm -hmm. it's right there in santa rosa in california and it's directly facing the house that they used in the movie cujo (laughs) which is just a little you know a Trivia for the uh, horror nerds, but uh, you know
1: what? If you haven't seen it, there's a there's. I think you can just find it online now. There's a short called Night of the Slasher, which we both really liked. Came out last year, it did did really well in in uh, in festivals around the world. And um, the opening scene with Drew Barrymore, when I was watching the the short Night of the Slasher, it made me think of that. I mean, it's another yeah. very very clever upending of genre tropes, and it's set in a living room. And you know, it's it, you know, it, it put me in the mind of the opening sequence of
0: of Scream. Yeah, it's a really good short, and I think. Is it a short they made to try to yes. get money to make yeah. a... I would really like to feature, see. Yeah. I think there's something here with this director because it's a really good short. If you can find it, Night of the Slasher is uh, is worth checking out. We did a write-up about it on our website a few months ago, um, and I think uh, it was still making the festival round, yep. so I don't yep. know whether it's out there for free or not. But if it is, check it out. Anyway, uh, back to Scream. Yeah, it's it's the way they just uh, you know do the whole thing. with. This is where the rules... The rules started, you know, you won't survive if you have sex. You will not survive if you drink or do drugs. You won't survive if you say, I'll be right, right. back, <laughs> which is awesome. You know, was, and that's what exactly what happens when uh, Rose McGowan, she yeah. goes for a beer. Yeah. I'll be right back yeah. and boom. You know, so that sort of stuff is just great.
1: Yeah. Well, and the other thing... Um Matthew Lillard is so perfect in this movie, just big googly eye, he old is. teeth, goofball. You know, and and I just loved him from this movie onward. I just think he's he's yeah. The casting is really really solid in this film, and uh you know the whole Gale Weathers bits. Uh you know they just do and it's a big group of people and they do a, a do a great job of of layering. I mean it isn't just a it isn't just a spoof of horror cliches. It's an actually very clever murder mystery yeah at its heart that does truly keep you guessing the entire time and you know what it's again it's it loves the slasher it is a slasher it's a big-ass butcher knife you know it's exactly what you want to be
0: seeing if you're watching you're in the mood for a slasher film yeah you know if you remember it was actually released five days before christmas and uh, the studio's thinking was that during that season family-friendly movies get released so they wanted to give an, an alternative yeah and it didn't do well uh, that first couple of weeks. But then the word of mouth just spread and spread. And with every week, it went up nice. in the box office, As which you down, which yeah. you rarely see. Very rarely. And by the end, back in 96, it made over $100 million, wow. which was huge. Huge. So, yeah, you, you think about where they were coming from. You see that a lot sometimes with a big <clears> weekend of, uh, like, say, Memorial Day or something, and you get a superhero movie. Yeah. And then some little movie will open because yeah. I want to give an alternative yeah. audience something yeah. to see. And that's what they were trying to do. And eventually it worked. Yeah,
1: I do want to, I mean, before we give up, I want to, I mean, he made so many movies and a lot of them were very good and a lot of them sucked out right. So I just want to quickly, so some of the other ones that are, are mediocre but decent, Serpent in the Rainbow, it's got some moments. People Under the Stairs, it's got some moments. It's got some bad moments too, but it's got, it's got something to it. Scream 3 is almost as fun as the first two. New Nightmare, New Nightmare is very clever, very meta, like his first really meta film. Um, swamp Thing is, you know, kind of fun Red Adrian Eyes Adrian Barbo. Red Eyes got some moments Cursed has a couple moments But really, I want to run over some bad ones Because he made some bad movies Shocker
0: Oh, mm-hmm. I forgot about that Were My that-
1: Soul to Take That was like one of his last ever films And it was really bad Vampire in Brooklyn Oh
0: my, Eddie Murphy Ugh.
1: Hills Have Eyes 2 Yeah Oh my God, was that bad And Deadly Blessing Behrman again So bad, yeah. Susan or Sharon
0: Stone. Okay, it's really bad. So there's a few clunkers in there, but uh, definitely some worth celebrating, and that's what we're doing. Our top five Wes Craven movies. The Man definitely earned his legendary status, and uh, that led. Oh, you know what? That leads us up to just in a few days. We're going to be doing our next Fright Club live event, and we're excited because it's just about time to celebrate St. Patty's Day. That's
1: right. George is in here doing a jig. We're (laughs) going to show Grabbers, which is so much fun. It is such a fun movie, and we're going to count down the five best Irish horror films.
0: This is one of those where you're talking about if you have friends who don't really like Scary movies. This is one that come out to and yeah, like because yeah. it's fun and funny. Yeah, we like try a, to do that every yeah, few months. Like a Tucker Throw Dale one in there or, where you
1: can yeah, where you can yeah. bring a date. Yeah, right. Tucker and Dale, yeah, Slither. Those kinds. This yeah. is like that. Yeah. It's it's you know, it's it's a scary movie. It's a, it's a creature feature and it's funny, it's really, really funny, and it's very clever and well put
0: together. And some good CGI effects in there too. if really you like Really good. Yeah. Really, really good. So that is gonna be this coming Wednesday that will be uh, March the 9th. At G- Gateway, Gateway Film, Film Center. Center, High Street, Columbus, Ohio We start in the uh, Torpedo Room With a little happy hour We'll start that about 6.30 And then we record the podcast about 7.30 And then we go right into the movie at 8 o'clock uh, And please, keep the conversation going What do you think about the Wes Craven list? You know, Did you like some of those that we listed as clunkers? Maybe um, And what do you think about this list? Maybe you don't like the, the choice for number one Maybe Nightmare should have been number one that, That's fine, let us know At Mad Wolf M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F Also, a Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook uh, works well, and you can catch us uh, most of the time in and out on ScreenRelish.com. And by the way, Craig, the head honcho over at Screen Relish, uh, reviewed a new horror movie out this week for us. We didn't get a chance to see it. Uh, called The Other Side of the Door So uh, you can catch his review And he kind of liked it Yeah uh, On madwolf.com right now So thanks uh, thanks to Craig for that And you can always check us out Over at screenrelish.com Lots of ways Lots of ways So until then We hope to see you Wednesday For Fright Club Live This is the Fright Club Podcast I'm Hope Madden And I'm George Wolf. Stay frightful my friends
1: Welcome to my